so thankful for the children's ministry and all the volunteers and uh, all that they do, all that they did for uh, my kids as they grew up here going to uh, Bible class and being involved in activities. And it's true, expose your kids to great adults. The reason, is, the reason is one day they ain't going to listen to you and you, <clears throat> hopefully they'll listen to somebody else, right? So uh, it's really good to, to, to have everybody here. Uh, thanks again for praying for us. Uh, several of us have been out of the country, and so we appreciate your prayers and getting us back uh, safe and sound. Uh, we uh, have a lot of visitors with us, so be sure and take the time to meet and greet folks as you get an opportunity. And uh, matter of fact, I noticed there's a whole baseball team in the uh, uh, other uh, room. I, I can't see them yet on the screen, but I'm assuming that they're there. Welcome, guys. They're from North Carolina and and playing in the tournament here. Glad you guys came and you are uh Playing my favorite sport of all time, by the way. Uh, so uh, welcome to them. And our uh, scripture reader uh, for today is uh, Drew Hauser. And Drew and his family are visiting from Newport, Tennessee. <clears throat> matter of fact, uh, Drew, come on up. Drew's going to read our scripture for us today. And uh, now, uh, Drew, you're fixing to have a birthday, right? Uh, yeah. How old are you going to be? Twelve. Well, happy birthday, young man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Drew has volunteered with his dad with the disabled veterans, helping for many years, and is involved in a lot of other activities in his life. Thank you for being uh, here with our Forever family. And uh, if you would, would you read our scripture for us today? Of course, sir. I'd like to thank all the veterans in this room. There you go. Say it again. Before I start, I'd like to thank all the veterans in this room for their service and uh, giving me freedom. So thank you. Amen to that. <clears throat> Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Thank, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you so much. It's great to have young men already... Uh, Reading the word and 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 <clears throat> practicing in their life toward other people, we appreciate uh, Drew so very very much. Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> greetings from the Dominican Republic. Uh, Ryan and Robert Abels, Kyle Gilmore, and myself, uh, along with we joined Adam and Stephanie Abels in the Dominican, and we have supported for many many years Prudencio Rodriguez and his family and the work there, and so we. Got a, got a chance to visit with them a lot. It was so good to be with that family. And as well as uh, the work in Naba and visiting uh, uh, World Radio speakers there, Robert gathered those guys up and, and had some great time with them. And so the work that goes out of here, I just want you to know I, I thank you so much because you've been involved in work around the world in different places for a long, long time, and it is continuing to produce fruit. We met young men that are already lined up preaching, planting churches that Prudencio has, has been training for a long period of time and, and young women that he introduced us to that's so active in the church and, and growing it up. And so I just want you to know that sometimes, you know, when you've supported the work for a long, long time, it's easy kind of out of, out of sight, out of mind. But look, it's a great ministry there 
and and you guys have uh, uh, many of you have known Prudential for many many years. Uh, started back I think in the in the late 70s with us, and so they're just doing a great great job, and we were honored and are honored to partner with them as well as our other One Kingdom uh, speakers and works around the world, and so you guys make that happen, and so we appreciate that very very much. <clears throat> I'm going to give out a, a little shout out to my daughter Kristen and her friend Ashley. They are in Orlando, and uh, many of you have prayed. And I want to uh, pray for the Green, Randy Green family. And that's been on one of our prayer lists out. And uh, Randy's uh, entire family, all of his kids and their spouses, all had COVID uh, <clears throat> and really struggled with it. His wife Sandra was in the hospital for a good while. She just now got home was able to be home to celebrate her birthday in her own house, so we we're proud for that. Also, uh, their daughter, Crystal Thomason. Crystal and her husband, Jeremy, uh, some of you may remember a few years ago, they came and they sang on the worship team with us, did a couple of special songs. They're worship leaders in, uh, in the Journey uh, Christian Church there in Orlando. And she uh, has been on a ventilator. She uh, was pregnant. She delivered the baby, two pounds and some odd ounces. The baby is doing really well, and so they're weaning Crystal off of the vent little by little. So we were headed in the right direction. Not out of the woods, still asking you to pray for them. But also, uh, uh, Kristen's friend, Ashley, that she's with and encouraging right now, Ashley's mom and dad are both have COVID, and her mom is in the hospital on a vent too. So we just have a lot of folks, <coughs> excuse me, here locally, but as well, extended family that we are praying for. And so I just want to stop and have a have a word of prayer for these folks right now. Father in heaven, we give you the glory and we give you the honor for everything that we get to be a part of. For healing that will take place and and has already taken place in Randy and Sandra's family as well as Ashley's family. We thank you ahead of time, Father. We thank you for the healing you brought about many of our own members here who have battled not only COVID but other ailments. We're thankful, Father, that we can approach a throne of grace and find help in our time of need, as you told us to. Thankful, Father, for the work of the Dominican. We ask your continued blessings on that work that more and more people are brought to understand who Jesus is and to follow him. Bless us, Father, as we learn from your word today. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. In the name of Jesus, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 13. So Romans chapter 1 he said, now, Michael, are you fixing to go through the whole 13 chapters before you get to this? Yes, I am. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. The power of God is the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first, also the Greek. Verse 17, in it, for therein the gospel, a righteousness is revealed. The curtain is pulled back, and we see how God was righteous in all he did from faith to faith. So we don't understand. Sometimes we read an Old Testament story. We see what happened. And now the gospel pulls back the curtain. Oh, that's what God was doing and how to make people right. 
He did, he made them right by the gospel, by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, even though they didn't understand that's how it was going to happen. So the gospel pulls back the curtain, shows God's righteousness. And boy, then in, 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 in the next few, uh, uh, chapters through chapter, through, through chapter three, we see the need for it because man is condemned. The condemnation of man. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The moral man, the Jew, the pagan man, he says in those first three chapters, everybody ends up with the same problem. They got the same problem we got. We're all broken messes, right? We, uh, right? Okay. I mean, some of us are, are, are broken and don't want to admit it, but look, we're all broken. And we're in a mess. And but the gospel rescues us that and, and, and now we're justified by faith in the Jesus Christ, the one who died for us even before and loved us even before we loved him. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when we said we don't care, God, God said, I love you anyway. Jesus is going to die for your sins. And then in chapter four, he says, wow. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So when someone says, I am blessed, I'm not saying I have good things. I'm blessed because I am forgiven and my sins are never counted against me. So that kind of Abraham faith that puts us in that relationship is what we're, uh, is what we're to have. And in chapter 5, because we have that faith, man, we're justified and, and, and our character grows. We have access to God. And uh, all of a sudden now, as we develop as God's people, we're reminded. Sometimes we take sin lightly. He says, look, just because you've got all this grace, does that mean you can keep on sinning? No, Romans chapter 6. Don't you remember three illustrations? When you were baptized, you said, I'm putting away the old man and I'm raised to live a new life. Remember, you're a slave to God, no longer a slave to the world or to the evil one. And just like when a, a, a marriage in chapter seven, when a marriage uh, mate, a mate dies and then all of a sudden that person is not bound to them. That was the illustration. You've died to the old law. You're not bound by it anymore. Even though this struggle goes on, oh, wretched man I am, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I end up doing. But thanks be to God, right? For the grace that we have. Therefore, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from that law of sin and death. I no longer live under that law that says every time I sin, I die. Satan likes to make you live under it. You're not under that law. So quit living like you're under the law. There's no condemnation. No means no. You're more than conquerors. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And God's had all this planned out from the beginning. And he does what he wills with people, and he lines this up for us. And he's vindicated in everything he does. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, he talks about that. Chapter 12, then this is going to make a difference in how you live. Because as you apply God's word, you're no longer living like you used to. Matter of fact, you're giving your spiritual worship to God. He says, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God. When you look back through time and see how God's been merciful over and over again. And remember that, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's, it's, your, it's your holy worship every day. And you don't live like the world anymore. You don't conform, but you be transformed by the renewing of your, what? Mind. We're going to come back to that one a little bit. You renew your mind. When you renew your mind, you can tell what God's will is better. And then as you act that out, it improves all the relationships in your community with one another. And that leads us to chapter 13.
Well, what's our response? How do we get our act together then? With government, with our fellow man, and with our commitment we have. <clears throat> Romans 13, 1 through 7. Everyone must submit. You know, before I read any further, I just don't, I already don't like this verse. Because <clears throat> I, I have trouble submitting. I don't know. I mean, I know, you know, uh, I, I know Susan could tell you some of those things. Don't go ask her. It's none of your business. But I'm just confessing. I, I got trouble with this sometimes. <clears throat> and he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that uh, uh, exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authorities rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Look, when you reject the authority that God has set over you in your government, when you violate that, you're just bringing problems on yourself. That's what he said to them. And look, they lived under a pretty tough one too in Rome, by the way. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Would you like to have that kind of freedom where you don't worry about them? Well, then look, then keep their laws. Be a good citizen. Then do what is right and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit. Hear that word again. Submit to the authorities. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Why do you got to bring taxes into it? You know? Yeah, I... Sometimes I'm tempted not to call them internal revenue. I'm tempted to call it eternal revenue. (laughs) Uh, For the authorities are God's servants who who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's talk about the first seven verses. There are two extremes. That tend to happen to us when we talk about government. Someone said that the preacher should never talk about politics in the pulpit. I totally disagree when you've got verses that deal with politics right there in the middle of a chapter, right? How are we to respond to our government? We know what Paul said in Timothy. We know we are to be taking our leaders to God in prayer. And we pray for our leaders so that things that we can live peaceful as we live out our Christianity and engage the world around us. So what's the extremes? One extreme is a group says, look, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So I'm not going to take a part in anything. I'm not going to be a part of politics. I'm not going to be a part of of, of voting. I'm not going to be a part of any of these things. It's just a passive deal. And I just want to... Take myself as far and remove myself as far away from that again and just be at peace. Okay. That's that extreme. Then there's the extreme that says, my, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. How many of you have said that? 
How many of you have whipped your kids for saying that, by the way? Because there's always somebody going to be telling you what to do, right? Kind of like that kid said, I'm tired of my mom and dad telling me what to do. I'm leaving home. I'm going to go join the army. <clears throat> Give that one a try, you know? Because they don't tell you what to do there, right? Government is set up by God. If Daniel didn't teach us anything, it teaches us that God raises up kings and tears them down and uses them as he pleases. Sometimes he even raises up a bad one to go whip somebody that needs whipped, and then he'll destroy them after he uses them. God can do what he wants to with people and with kingdoms and with governments. So we're obligated to pray for our leaders. And I beseech you, pray for our leaders. Now, some of you are hardcore whatever party you are, and you're going to have a hard time praying for the other one, right? I don't want you praying they die or praying they, you know, I mean, you need to pray. You need to pray that people have the wisdom from God. You need to pray that there are influences that will move them in the way God wants people to be moved. So we're to submit. We're to be, the Bible says, Jesus said, we're to be salt and light in the world. So we do engage our community. We engage our government. But we do so in a peaceful way to impact them for the good of mankind by being salt and light in a very dark world. And our world is pretty dark around us right now. Instead of being rude and hollering and unkind... Christian response should be love and gentleness and patience and letting our salt and light impact the world in which we live. The other one extreme is to not do anything. The other extreme is I'm going to be opposed and I'm going to be in opposition to, to, to the leaders at the least little old bit of thing, and I'm going to cause problems about it, and, no, and you get that extreme. I want to take up arms instantly. I want to fight about everything. Well, that's no good. That doesn't help win anybody to the Lord. All governments do things that are immoral. Because someone said, My, what do you do about a government? I'm not going to vote for him. He's immoral. I'm not going to vote for them. All governments are immoral to some degree. So, where does our responsibilities lie? We want to be salt and light. We want to impact them. We want to do it in a peaceful way, he says, as, as we're submitting to the government. But what if there comes a time when that rub of submission to government challenges us in our submission to God. On rare times, in rare situations, we have to fight the evil we see, even in government. Let's say you're living years and years ago and... You want freedom of religion. You want out under the thumb of your existing religious pressure and the government. And so you've heard of this new land called America. 
And you take your family and you board on that ship. And you come to this country. And you discover the blessings of it, but you discover the hardship of it. And the more and more people who come for freedom, some for freedom of religion, some for freedom just because they want the adventure, some uh, freedom from the government that they were under. But all of a sudden you're here in America. But the government that allows you to come back across over the ocean, all of a sudden is taking advantage of your situation. What do you do? How... Do you know how difficult it was for Christians during the days of the revolution to finally decide to take up arms? Do you know how hard that was for them? And yet finally there came a time when there's murder in the streets. You might remember some history about the Boston Massacre. And I remember in the reenactment that they did in Richmond, Susan and I went to, I think Robert and Kathy just got that word. Patrick Henry stands up and says, give me liberty or give me death. Remember that? Within that, there was an argument about, yeah, but they're not doing that in my town. And and the other one said, yeah, but they will soon. And so you have all of a sudden this argument going on that barely passed that day, by the way, to take up arms as a organized group of people to say, we're no longer going to live under the, the terrorism that they saw as terrorism against England and the revolution broke out. Is it okay to fight for freedom? There are rare times when the evil over us is so bad that we cannot keep our commitment to God without standing up against the evil that exists. I praise God and I'm thankful to God for the Christians in Germany that stood up against the evil, murderous, hatred heart of Hitler and the tragedy that he was had enforced upon the people of the Jews. I'm thankful my dad was a part of that fighting for freedom. I'm thankful for the veterans you mentioned earlier. I'm thankful for people who serve our country for freedom. But taking up our guns and our arms and and all that kind of thing as a first response? No, that's not our first response. God's people submit. But when that submission runs into conflict, it's one thing for the government to be immoral. It's another thing for the government to demand me to be immoral. Got it? There's a difference. I can live under immoral people. I do it all the time in our government. There's always good and bad. There are moral people that are immoral but they, that are over us all the time. And you live at peace with that. And you try to em- engage that and impact it with light, salt and light in your life. So we're involved. We should be good citizens of everything we do. But when that... Immoral authority all of a sudden demands that I act immoral. No, I can't go that route. My commitment to God overrides any kind of submission to government authorities that would demand me violate my commitment to God. Just don't get caught up in the extremes, guys. 
Don't be on Facebook belittling our government and our leaders. Be on your knees praying for them. I'm serious about that. We need people to, to shut their mouths in terms, and here's how you shut your mouth. Shut off your Facebook and computer and all that mess. That people who are never face-to-face with anybody can be as bold as they can be. Boy, I'll tell you what, people can be bold when they don't have to look in the eye. And they can be ugly. And that should not be us as Christians. It can't be us. Opposition and disobedience should not be our first response. We love everybody. And that includes political people from different persuasions. It includes people we can't get along with sometimes. <clears throat> and we're committed to our God. And we pray for our leaders. But we don't give up our commitment to God to have peace with an evil leader either. Balance. Understand what this text is calling us to do. Okay. Basically, he says, act right. Verse 8 through 10. The Christian response to our fellow man, love right. The first thing we got to do is act right to the government. To our fellow man, we got to love right. Let's read these verses Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. This word for fellow man, in the Greek it's the word heteros. It means one of a different kind. One of a different kind. I want you to get this before we read the rest of the text. Because sometimes we we miss this right here. That we don't, we, we don't want to owe anybody anything. We really need, look, we need to be people who pay our debts and work out of debts, right? We give respect, respect, honor to who honors do. We pay our debts. That's the kind of people we are. But the only thing that you'll always owe is love. You owe that to everybody and you owe that to everybody of any kind of different kind of people. That's what the word fellow man means. Heteros, it means different kinds of people. So, it, when it comes to love, difference makes no difference. Got it? You see, uh, we are in a body of people right here that are different. And I gotta love them anyway. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And I've traveled all week with a Cubs fan. Ryan Lee. And I love him anyway. Right? We're different. Let me tell you, we're different. But I love him. Sometimes it's a different race. It's somebody different in theology. It's somebody different in politics. It's somebody different in personality. You ever have that one of those, uh, uh, one of those people that they just, you know, it just seems like they're not normal around, you know, you have a hard time with them. You know what I'm talking about? And I know y'all are out there saying, yeah, and it's you. Uh, I, I mean, that's not my perspective. I think that, Paul, I think me and you are the only normal people here probably. But, uh, you know, because, right, you always think it's everybody else that's abnormal, right? So, but I. I can remember uh, my dad always had a few funny sayings, and so, uh, you know, they'd be a, a, 
a, a man or his family or somebody that was just kind of lived and was totally different to kind of the, the regular folk in town. And he'd say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Yeah, they're turn funny. Well, some people are just turn funny. You know, they're different. And we love them anyway. We love everybody. We owe it to them to love them. So no matter what sin or struggle or brokenness walks through these doors, whether it's drug addiction or uh, drunkenness or whether it's sexual abuse uh, or whether it's uh, a gender identity problem, it doesn't matter when they walk through here, our response, what we owe them, we owe it to them to love them. We don't affirm our own sinfulness or anybody else's sinfulness. But we love everybody. Let's look at the next few verses. Romans 13, verse 11 through 14. Under this, it's our Christian response to the testing of our Our love and our commitment and all the things that are rolled up into this. Look what he says in this response. When he says, well, back up to verse 9. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not cut, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Here it is. One rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding. With the, there's an understanding here that when we practice love this way, there's an understanding that takes place. Understanding the present time. Now, there's two Greek words for the word time. There's the word uh, chronos, which is where we get our word chronology. And uh, it has to do with the calendar. It has to do with counting days. It's that kind of looking at your watch, right? That's kind of like that uh, uh, kid was sitting in the audience with his dad, and the preacher kept looking down at the watch, and he said, Dad, what does that mean? The dad said, that don't mean nothing at all. <laughs> well, it's got that kind of time, right? But then the other word is karyos. And that's the one he uses here when he says this time is near. This is a time, for example, uh, when you, we say something like, I'm going through a tough time and a season or an appointed time. Or, uh, man, I had a, I went, I, we had a really good, what, time in the Dominican. It's that type of uses of the word. And so when he says here this, and, and do this, you love understanding the present time, understanding the situation that, that we're pointing to here. There are good times and there are bad times. <clears throat> so he says, the hour has come for you. He's going to tell them three things. I'm going to tell you ahead of time what it is. He's going to tell them to wake up. Say wake up. Clean up. Say clean up. And grow up. Say grow up. All right, this wake up. Are you hard, by the way, are you hard to wake up? Just raise your hand if you're hard to wake up. Uh, Raise your hand. Some of you are hard right now to wake up. 
Right, raise your hand. There you go. If you're sitting beside one of them, just raise their hand for them, okay? Uh, they're hard. Some people are hard to wake up. Now, I never was one of those people that could just like stay in the bed for hours upon hours, you know, sleep all more, all that. Even, I know some teenagers, they do that kind of thing all the time. I, I never was like, I never could do that. I, I was just afraid I'd miss out on something or what, but I had to get up and get going, you know. But man, there are some people I can just stay in the bed. I had a cousin, she sleep all the way till noon, and then I'm like, oh, you gotta wake up and do something, you know. Sometimes it's hard for us when we don't look around and we try, and we try just to avoid the conflict of our culture. We don't wake up. We need to wake up. You need to be aware of what's happening around you in our culture as we live wanting to engage them with salt and light. So he says, wake up from your slumber because salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Look, we're getting closer and closer all the time to this thing coming to an end. Wake up. Be aware. Be sober-minded of what's happening around you. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Verse 12 and 13. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Here's how you, here's how, now he's going to describe how people behave in the darkness and how people behave in the daylight. Put on your armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the day, as in the daytime, not in. Now he gives you three pairs here. Notice these three pairs. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Now, that word orgy and drunkenness, that's the word for revel. Or some of your versions will say carousing. Carousing. It was the idea of unrestrained partying, party, partying festivals that they did... For Bacchus, the god of wine and vine. He was the god of agriculture and the god of the wine. And in his honor, they would go out and throw these big festivals and party all night long. Just unrestraint in their moral behavior as they got drunk and, and all the different things that happened in that environment. So he pairs those two together. Orgies and drunkenness. That's carousing these festivals, these unrestrained uh, festivals that go on. And then he says, and not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Now, sexual immorality, I think, should be understood. But I don't know nowadays. It seems like you've got to explain everything. You can't date and sleep with somebody who not, you're not married to. That's immorality. Sexual activity between people who are unmarried is immorality. Do I have to say that? Do I have to explain that any more than that? I mean, come on. It's wrong. But it says not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Now, that's a good old word. By the way, this, this word sexual immorality or promiscuity is one of the, This word is though actually it's the word for bed in the Greek language. And it's, uh, it originally says chambering, in your chamber. 
where you sleep. So there's unrestraint going on in the bed. That's the sexual promiscuity. That's it's it's literally says chambering. So so next time somebody starts to do something wrong or sleep with somebody, uh, 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 no chambering. They're gonna say, "What is that?" So let me explain that to you. Don't be chambering with people. It ain't good. All right. And debauchery is the word wantonness, which means completely lacking in moral restraint. In other words, everything goes. Anything and everything. And then these last two, it's kind of interesting. Not in dissension and jealousy. Uh, some versions say the, the first word for the dissension was strife and jealousy. And the word for jealousy there is kind of also has the idea of zeal. But this is zeal in the wrong direction. You know, earlier Paul says keep your zeal. But this is zeal in the wrong direction. This idea of strife and dissension. Have you ever thought that that would be paired up with chambering? Strife and dissension. It would be paired up with drunkenness. Or it, would be, uh, it would be paired up with this group of three pairs of... Uh, this is how you don't live in darkness. This is dark living. So when we cause dissension or we cause strife or we cause arguing or quarreling among the brothers and the sisters over things... We're participating in the dark side of the world. And that's why we can't put up with divisiveness and dissension in God's family. And you're the ones that can stop it. When someone comes to tell you gossip or cause division or or strife or quarreling, they're all mad. They're telling you about somebody else. You stop it right there. You say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to be a part of strife. I don't want to be a part of your drama. I don't want to be a part of that in life. That's a part of the dark world. If you don't believe it, just go out here and say, if we could listen into the households of our community and the breakup of the marriages and the breakup of relationships and you would hear strife, dissension. And and doesn't that all go together with just drunkenness? Sexual immorality, no restraint. Mm. We were on our flight back from Santo Domingo to Miami. There was a man sitting in front of Robert Abel's, him and his girlfriend. And they were fighting. There was strife. <clears throat> and about every third word, he used the F word, and he was cussing, and she was trying to get him to be quiet, and he's loud and obnoxious, and she said, Don't, he, he said, I can be as loud as I want to, and so he just started talking that high, and saying those kind of filth all over, and I just met some girls that sat behind me that were just coming back from a mission trip, and I, I thought, mm. and I've got my Bible open, look, I'm preparing for my sermon, and I've just read Love Your Neighbor, and I thought, I've just learned it, love, it's got to be, it's loving different people, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I really want to throw my Bible at him. I mean, at one point, the old side of me wanted to come up and say, you keep that up, buddy. If you don't close your mouth, I'll what? I'm so glad that I've, that you've engaged in my sin before. I appreciate the camaraderie and the struggle. But man, I wanted to do that. 
There was a day when I would have done it, and then I then I'd have been in trouble, and, and then I'd have, then it'd be back to not submitting to authority, and the whole chapter would be violated for long. Right. So, and I did. I had. A hope, I was hoping he'd look over and see it, and at least have respect for the Bible. Maybe I don't know why. So, but <clears throat> somebody had uh, uh, Robert said something to one of their airline folks, and they and they didn't want to confront him, so they just like, well, you can change seats, you know, and so. Well, Robert changed, but that ain't going to do any good. But somebody else had mentioned it because it was so widespread. And her, so this lady that worked for the airline, I'm going to tell you, and I told her multiple times that day how proud I was of her because she went over and I don't know what she did, but I'm telling you what, he did not say a word the entire flight after she talked to him. She put him in his place. I thought, this guy... Zero respect for his girlfriend, for anybody set around him. Rebellious, rebellious, just out of control, no restraint until he was forced to restrain. That's the way people in the dark live. They're only restrained when they're just forced to. We run into all kinds of people in life. What's our response? We want to be salt and light to them. I really wish I could have shared the gospel with the guy. I wish I could have pricked his heart because his heart needed pricked. His didn't need any more pricked than mine needed when I was outside Christ. And that's how you can keep that balance of how to respond the right way. Always understand the grace that God's given you. So we wake up, we clean up, get these things out of our life, and then we, verse 14, we grow up. Look what he says. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. I I almost, almost wore a suit and tie just as an illustration of clothe yourselves because nobody ever sees me in one anymore. And when they do, they ask who died. And so I, uh, I started with, you know, but, but, we know what it means to put on our clothes. Clothe ourselves. It says, with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our identity. Remember what he says in Galatians 3.27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That you put him on when you're baptized. You're clothing yourselves. And when you clothe yourselves, you look like him. He becomes our identity. Now I'm someone that's in Christ. I'm saved in Christ. I'm forgiven in Christ. I'm going, my commitment is in Christ. Everything becomes about me and my identity is in Christ. And so he says, you put that on. That's how, that's how you grow up. You start changing how you look. Now, God's already clothed you, but as we grow, we're learning how to kind of clothe ourselves also. To clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. Your identity has been changed. So dress to who you are. We recognize that policeman he has on the uniform. We identify it. It's his identity. There he is. The fireman, the postman. What's our uniform? It's the character of Christ. Then he says this about this thing of growing up as we're learning how to dress and grow ourselves up. 
This is an interesting verse here. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, this idea of not thinking about, this comes from one word called, I hope I say this way, pronoia. Pronoia is the word that in some of your versions will say provision. And what it actually literally means in the Greek is it's a forethought or a plan. So you see, he says basically, take no forethought or planning in your mind about how to satisfy your flesh. Got it? Now, I've done that before and you've probably done that too. See, it's not just that as I'm growing up, I'm I'm wanting to look like Jesus. But when I do that, I have to make sure my mind stays in the right place. In other words, I can't be trying to add on things that make me look like God and at the same time be planning planning how I might can expose myself to some sin that satisfies my flesh or my desires. That's why he says, do not think about how to do it. That's the whole idea. Forethought and plan. Don't think ahead and expose yourself to situations. Sometimes it's the very fact of you just don't close off options you know that are bad for you. You let them exist. You give it a little forethought. You thought about it. And you let it stay there. You let that, you let that woman that you're attracted to who eats across from the table, you keep eating at the same table and you just, you don't cut off the option. You just kind of let it stay there. You forethought that. You plan, you, 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 it was in your mind. So you can't, you can't do that. You gotta cut that thing off. There's a book that several people are reading right now called, uh, Greg Rochelle's book, War, is it War of the Mind, Dave? Winning the War of Your Mind. I've heard it's an excellent book. I haven't read it. I've just actually just started reading it. There's another one called by Lou Giglio called uh, Don't Give the Devil a Place at Your Table. And it's also about kind of winning the war on your mind. Why is all this coming out, <clears throat> these kind of books coming out, for, uh, writing to, in the context of Christianity now? Because we understand finally we're getting it. It's not just about our behavior. It's about our thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, the wise man said what? So is he. That's what we become. If we think about it long enough, we become that way. We produce what our mind focuses on. You know, it's kind of like the guy that gets up to hit the golf ball and he gets up there and he goes all around. The, and boy, when he hits it, he barely tips the ball and it rolls off and he says, I knew I was going to do that. Well, that's why you did. You pictured yourself and now you performed what you pictured. That's why visualization, sorry, I get my tongue in front of my eye teeth and can't see what I'm saying. But my, uh, some of you will get that later. Visual, visualizing how to behave and how to perform is so important in sports. You have to see yourself before you perform it. You have to know you can do that in your own mind. God's created us with a great thing called imagination. That's, the, that's why we're created in His image, by the way, right? We're created in God's what? Image. That's where we get the word imagination. We're the only creatures that have it. And we can imagine and dream and think ahead and look and reason. So our mind becomes something very powerful. 
So in this idea of growing up, we cannot just think that religious behavior on the outside, going to church on Sunday, being in a small group on Wednesday or some other time, and I'm, I'm plugging in my religious times and I get my acts in and I take the Lord's Supper and everything's done and I'm good. No. Now, I can tell you from experience, as an older teenager, I did all the religious activity. And I had many of little gray-headed women that would pat me on the head at church and say, man, he's such a good good kid. And I waited on the table and I said the prayers. And I, I had the language down. I knew what to do. And at the same time, I would go out on that weekend away from people who knew me and then I would live like the devil. I can remember sitting on the back of a pickup truck up in Arkansas and everybody's drinking beer and we're all sitting out there drinking and arguing Bible. And I could pull out the Bible and whip out the scriptures and I could take any one of them on. I looked around one day and said, what is this? No. I can have religious behavior and not be right with God. I've got to change my thinking. I've got to quit thinking ahead of how to sin and satisfy myself and start thinking about how to satisfy what God wants me to do. It's me getting what I want to do in harmony with what God wants me doing. That's the challenge. I've got to wake up and realize this is the time to do it. I've got to clean up. I've got to get understand those things that are in the dark world and not be a part of them. And I've got to grow up. I've got to start wearing the identity God has given me in Christ. And that means changing my thinking. Now, Paul already said it earlier in chapter 12. We must have transformation or renewing of the mind. Matter of fact, let's go back to chapter 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When you aren't right, when you're planning to sin in your mind, you have no peace of mind. When you plan to sin in your mind, you have no peace of mind. So there's a lot more to growing up. Than going to church. Well, this chapter challenges. Now, if I told somebody this is going to be probably the longest sermon I've preached in a long time, and uh, you know, I don't want to be like that one guy. You know, he he always preached like twenty minutes, and I they asked him how'd you do that. He said I always put a little search in the corner of my mouth, and when and it let it melt, and when it's gone, I know that my time's expired, and I quit. And then one day he put a uh, accidentally put a button in there and preached an hour and a half before he realized what happened. Well, I don't. I don't want to take advantage of my time, but I want you to know now is the time, right? Now is the time for you to walk out of here and be able to lay your head on your pillow tonight and go to sleep 100% confident you are forgiven. Now is the time for you to clothe yourself with Christ. If you've never been baptized into Christ, now is the time to walk down this aisle and be baptized into Christ and take on his character and his identity and start growing up to look and act, act like and think like him. Now is the time that you say, I'm done with planning sin in my mind.
Now is the time to put a stop to negative thinking. Now is the time to love, learn how to love people who are different than me. Now is the time to put my spirit under submission to the government that God has laid in order. Now is the time for me to change who I am. That's the good news. If you don't like who you are, you're not stuck with you. Because through Christ, you can change your identity. You become a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy family of God. Who would not want in on a family where you're forgiven, your past is not held against you, and you have the freedom to grow up and have all the help from other brothers and sisters to grow up. To live for God. And be salt and light. In a world that desperately needs you. Father we love you. Thank you for the day. As we close out our time together. I pray Father. I pray for myself. My pride would not ever be in the way. That I would grow up. To be more like Jesus. I pray, Father, for our church to grow up as a body of people. That we would always have what Jesus wants us to do in mind. I pray, Father, that our spirit would be submissive to your Holy Spirit that you've given us to dwell in us. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that's not right with you, that that would be made right today. For anyone that needs to be baptized, they're struggling with the decision, I pray, Father, that you would urge them, move them to obey you today. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins that we have because of the precious blood of Jesus. May we always be conscious of your grace and mercy. Those mercies that are new every morning. And may we share the good news. May we grow up to be like Christ. In his precious name, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we pray. And the church said, Amen. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.